Well, I can't wait to meet our host. I hear this is only one of his beat parties. Stay positive, the love will come back to me. Stay positive, the love will come back to me. Stay positive, the love will come back to me. Stay positive, the love will come back to me. Welcome to Too True to Lie with Harry Day. I am uh, broadcasting from the big Black River Studios in the mudroom of my house out here in uh, the sticks of Madison County. It is extremely hot outside. I have been in my metal shop working. Um, I work for a little while, then come in, cool off, shell some peas, go back out, weld for a little while, come in, eat some lunch. And I'm out of welding wire. And uh, like I said, it's hot outside. It's 90 degrees in my shop, and it's covered in the shade. And there's a breeze, but it's a hot breeze. The tele the telecast. The podcast started out with a scream from a well-known band from uh, the country my ancestors immigrated from, migrated from, in the 17th century, the 1600s, England. And I use that to emphasize uh, the injuries that I've sustained in the 49 years of my life so far. I've had a lot of them. I seem to bring them up in a lot of my podcasts, I guess because it's been a big part of my life. Uh, probably the most profound injury that I had that, I, that was completely out of my control, nor could I react, was when... Uh, I had my jaw broken in North Georgia around 1992. I was in college. This was right after Christmas break, um, towards the end of January. Several friends at Mississippi State and I, we caravaned up to Sky Valley, Georgia, which is the north uh, boundary of the state of Georgia, right up against North Carolina. And uh, a friend of ours family had a condo on a two-slope run of a ski resort very small it had a, a one slope went down a hill for a few hundred yards and one slope had an elbow in it and went right and left and they ended up at the same place down at the ski lodge so there was probably eight at least eight of us you know Mississippi State students who went to the ski lodge to um, go go skiing? I'd never skied before, and um, I couldn't ski this trip because I had had shoulder surgery over Christmas break the year before the Christmas of '91. I had put my right shoulder out. I had torn my rotary cuff, my rotator cuff, playing uh, flag football. I dove for a pass and landed on the um, hard pan dirt that were the intramural fields at Mississippi State. It was it was compacted dirt, and put my shoulder out. And it hurt, but we kept playing. And then I remember we went back to the house, a few of us, and I remember sitting in the bathroom, washing up, and I got real dizzy. And nauseous and uh, leaned back against the wall and slid to the ground and a friend walked in and asked what was wrong and I was like 
I think I did something to my shoulder and went and got checked out. Well, I didn't have surgery for another year, and they had my they scoped my surgery in Jackson at a uh, sports medical facility. So my arm, when we went on this trip in January of '92, was immobilized. My right arm, my dominant arm, was in a sling that was also velcroed to my body, so it was immobilized. And uh, one of my close friends, Reese, had had knee surgery during the uh, Christmas break. And so he had a, uh, maybe it was, might have been before Christmas break, because he was walking, but he couldn't ski either. And so he had a uh, huge um, knee brace that went from mid-thigh down to mid-calf. nearly isolated his leg. He might have had crutches. I don't remember seeing them or him using them. But, um, you know, we were young and, and uh, bulletproof, and he, he went on to play rugby, you know, a few years later. He was, he was a tough guy. And um, so while our friends were skiing these two runs at this, at this little ski lodge up in the foothills of the Appalachians in North Georgia, Reese and I went down to the ski lodge and were having drinks and just sitting down watching them you know, take the uh, T-bar, toe bar, or whatever they took to the top. It might have been the lift. And ski back down and up and down, up and down. It didn't take long to ski down these two runs. It's not like there was a lot of people there. Well, Reese and I are down at the ski lodge meeting everybody. Anybody that's anybody that comes through in our, of our age, we're meeting. And meeting in the bar or meeting on the, on the patio that looks up at the uh, ski runs. And we decide we're going to throw a party that night. And this was our last night um, up there. We took a three-day weekend. And this was uh, Saturday night. And we decided we were going to have a party at our friend's um, condo up there on the mountain. He was, he was six years older than us. He was a senior, and we were, or he was a senior two times over. And we were uh, younger. And so... We found out that, that our friend whose family owned the ski lodge had been drinking since Saturday morning early, maybe all the way through Friday night and Saturday morning. Because I remember seeing him on the ski slopes, and he was just hammered. And this was like 10 a.m. At, at this time. And I remember seeing him on the, um, the beginner run, which was next to where the two runs came down together. And he was going up the beginner run on the, that's where the T-bar was, where you just hang onto the rope and it takes you up and you come down. And he had he had fallen down and was half passed out in the in the T-bar run, and these kids couldn't get past him to get up to the top. And so Reese and I walked up and drug him out of the way and said, "Maybe you need to go home." And so we saw him just leave on skis. I think he went to the lift to the top and then tried to get back to the condo, which was halfway down. That day, we came back to the condo in the middle of the day to get something, and he was in the downstairs bathroom, passed out with his ski boots on, and we couldn't open the door to the bathroom because he had his ski boots on, and when we pushed it, it wedged him between the door and the toilet, and so we just left him there. He was on his side, we knew, so if he threw up, he'd be okay. That's what we figured. We're kids. So we're going to throw this big party. Well, it turns out everybody showed up, lots of locals, people we didn't see, 
there was the place was the condo was filled with all these people there maybe eight of us and then all these people we didn't know a lot of guys there were there were several girls and girlfriends of these guys um i remember when the first fight went down i was outside talking to these three girls who were still in their car and they couldn't make up their mind whether they wanted to park get out and come in or not and my arm's in a sling and so they're being real sweet to me you know wondering how i heard it and stuff and i told them and they were all all boohoo so sorry and i was i'm thinking i'm getting these girls to come to the party that was my that was my plan right and uh i hear the ruckus inside never saw the girls again i go inside and there were these two locals there was this huge guy bigger than any of us who uh I basically just labeled him as a big hillbilly. And then there was a shorter black guy, the only black guy we saw, who was real stocky, looked like a football player. And they were fighting in the main room of the condo. So everybody's backed away, and we're watching this fight, and they're not really hitting each other hard or in the face, but they're wrestling and tumbling around the room busting furniture and uh reese steps up because he was outside too and he's like they're just trashing the place they're not hurting each other i'm like i think you're right but how are we going to stop it they're both big and reese just before i said big was in between them with his leg brace on and he grabs the big white guy the big hillbilly who was taller as tall as i was then but big i was thin and Reese grabs this guy by the shirt tail and the neck and bulldog rams him into the fireplace, which is rock, and creates this enormous gash above his eyebrow, this, this hillbilly. And blood is pouring out of his face, and so he just kind of melts away from the party. And I don't know what the other locals were doing. It was starting to thin out you know the party had been going on two hours everybody was really cool until that that happened oh another thing i remember while the, while the fight's going on and as reese is ramming this guy into the fireplace that is lit another one of us mississippi boys is headed towards the telephone by the kitchen counter saying we need to call the police this is out of hand and one of the guys that was attending the party that we met down at the uh, ski lodge was the security guy down there and he had come up to the party after they closed the ski lodge and when he heard our friend say I'm, we need to call the cops he grabbed the phone and the phone cord and ripped it out of the wall and threw it on the ground and disappeared and so we, you know people are looking at each other like this is really getting out of hand and uh, for some reason, no one jumps anybody after that. They could have outnumbered us pretty badly. But we're yelling, okay, the party's over, the party's over. The people are melting away and disappearing. The, the main room is trashed. You know, broken furniture, broken table, um, broken end tables, broken chairs. <laughs> and so the whole time, the host whose family owns the place is downstairs still in the bathroom passed out and we're like what are we going to tell dog 
that's his nickname about this uh what happened and we just decided we'll just tell him he's been through these kind of things before he's six years older than us well what we didn't know was one of the younger guys that was with us had jumped off the second story balcony which was the level we were on in the main room fallen down off of that landed on the steep slope in the in the rocks and scree slid rolled and run down the slope <laughs> to the ski lodge and somehow found a phone and he called the cops we didn't know this until the cops got there we had no idea we're just like milling around people have left we're out in front we're out in the parking area um, that holds maybe 12 vehicles around four condos, you know, along the run of the side of this mountain of the ski place. And we're, me and Reese and Reese's friend Barton are standing out in the parking lot. And these two guys that we hadn't seen before walk out of the trees off to the side. And we're like, hey, where'd y'all come from? And they're like, oh man, that was crazy. All that was just crazy, man. We're sorry about you know what they did and we're like yeah that was that was nuts you know that, that was nuts and they were they went to this car that was parked there that was theirs apparently and and one of them opened the door and and Barton said something to him about you know how you know what who were those guys and the two guys step up to Barton Reese to shake their hands and say something but all they do is one guy that shook Barton's hand, who's, who's smaller than me and Reese, he pulls Barton to him and headbutts him in the nose. And Reese and Barton chased them off back into the trees. But they had already ID'd their car and left it open for us to see. And so we know it's their car, and they took off. And Barton and Reese are so mad about Barton getting headbutted in the nose. And it's bleeding, but it's not broken that they jump in this car and they just start trashing this car and one of them runs inside comes out with a steak knife and they start slashing the seats and they just start breaking stuff in the car that they can break I think they bent the steering wheel anything plastic they they break they totally trash the inside of this car and then they put it in neutral and run it off the uh, parking lot down the steep hill onto the ski slope. It's hung up in trees, but it's right on the edge of the ski slope. I was kind of wide-eyed at that. I didn't take part in the trashing of the car. I think I took their gear shift knob. It had an eight ball that screwed onto the top of the gear shift. We I think I took that or Reese took that. And then everybody's gone except us. So we go back inside and clean up put the broken stuff that couldn't be fixed out on the curb and uh, we're all just kind of settling in you know it's 10 11 at night now maybe later I don't know this was a long time ago and there's a knock on the door and one guy goes to the door might have been Todd Todd Leonard I'm not sure someone goes to the door looks to the peephole and says it's the police and most of us were like well good we can tell them what happened but before we open the door, we're like, uh, what, what do we tell them about that car? And everybody freaks. We're like, oh my God, you're right. We trashed the car. 
So everybody goes, just just fans out in the house except for one person and, and goes to bed. <laughs> We're not sleeping, but everyone's like in bed all of a sudden. So one guy opens the door and the police are like, uh, what happened here? And he starts to tell them a watered-down version of, we had a party, we invited these people, and they trashed the place. And so we asked them to leave. One guy jerked the phone out of the wall. You know, there were locals. We don't know them. And so then he starts talking about the car. Apparently, someone had contacted them about the car going off the hill. Maybe they saw him do it. I don't know. And we're like, what car? We've been asleep for an hour. And because the police went to each room and started waking us up, which we weren't asleep, and asking us questions, we all played dumb. Note, I'm still not hurt. I have my arm in a sling. I was talking to girls and then watching my friends trash this, you know, little beater car and roll it off a hill onto the ski slope. So the police are just like, you know... Y'all should probably get up in the morning and get out of town. I'm like, well, we're li we're leaving anyway in the morning, so that's not a problem. And that's what we do. We get up. Dog wakes up and is like, what in the hell happened? And we tell him, and he's just he just doesn't know what to say. He's hoping he's not going to get in trouble. He figures he'll have to pay for the furniture. We say we'll help you. It's cheap furniture. It's wood, you know, wood club, clubhouse kind of stuff. And so. You know, this is not an elite ski slope. <laughs> so we get in our cars and we drive into Clayton, which is the town down the, down the mountain, Clayton, Georgia. And we go to Hardy's to eat. Um, it's just about time they're serving lunch, which would be 11-ish, 10.30. And uh, we're all sitting around at two different tables together eating. And this guy walks in probably our age and he and he had a hand behind his back his left hand was behind his back and he walks in and walks up to our table and looks at us and says you are y'all the guys from mississippi we're like yeah we're, we're headed out and he goes okay and barton's sitting across from me reaches to my left there's other guys to our right at different tables and he takes this fast right swing at Barton and Barton like pulls his head back and it just barely misses his nose and so I'm wearing sunglasses eating a burger and I and this punch misses him and I'm like whoa and so we're looking at this guy standing there thinking surely he's just gonna walk away and immediately he pops me in the jaw he hits me right on the chin, cracks it on the right side where it goes and, and connects under the ear, and cracks it on the left side midway from the chin going back to the back of the jaw. And so that when I bite my teeth down, my teeth on the left side, or is it the right side? Might have been the right side. My teeth won't touch together when I bite down. Well, I stand up with my arm in a brace, my dominant arm in a brace, strapped to my body I stand up and chest bump him away and what we realize is he has a switchblade knife in his left hand and he had slid it into his back jean pocket and he looks up at me like 
it's in, it's in his eyes like, why aren't you on the floor? I just hit you as hard as I could in the jaw. And you just stood up and chest bumped me and said, what in the hell can I do about you punching me in my arms in a sling? Which is what I, what I did and said. And so what, what I didn't realize is Reese has gotten up and hustled to the counter and they have called the cops because apparently the people that work this Hardee's, it's a small town, know this guy does this kind of stuff. He's done it before. And so it was minutes this guy's kind of, he's, you know, there's a bunch of us were standing up, but no one jumps him, which is weird, but it's probably good, or we'd have all gone to jail, or whoever would have gotten into it with him would have gone to jail too. But the cops arrest him, and I've gone to the bathroom, wondering why I can't put my teeth together on one side when I, when I clench my jaw. I'm spitting blood into the uh, sink, and I'm taking water, and I'm washing it out, and I'm still spitting blood, and I'm washing it out, and I'm still spitting blood. So I've got a cut back there somewhere inside my mouth. And um, someone checks on me and I come out and the police are like, uh, it might have been the same guys, but they knew of, knew who we were. And they're like, y'all are the Mississippi boys, aren't y'all? And we're like, yeah. He's like, y'all just need to get out of town because we don't know what uh, what's going to happen next. But, you know, it's almost like we can't protect you. I'm like, I'm going to press charges against these guys. I'm going to sign an affidavit. What do I got to do? And he says, well, you need to go see such and such magistrate. Follow us. So we go to this guy's home, and I sign the charges against this guy and have him put in jail. And then they say again, y'all need to leave town. Y'all just need to go. And so we decide that, well, that's probably how they found us at the Hardy. Someone saw the Mississippi tags and identified us. And then this guy, who is punch happy, came in there and tried to pick a fight with us. And the cops did say, had we had anyone fought back, they'd have been in jail with him. So, <laughs> I've got a broken jaw. I know it's broken because I can't put my jaw together. We are told by the police and the judge that we need to leave town. We can take care of business by phone later, after I, since I signed paperwork. So someone gives me a paper cup. I think we stopped somewhere and got gas, and someone gave me a paper cup that I was spitting blood in all the way to Atlanta, Georgia, from north the North Georgia boundary in Clayton. And we would stop every once in a while, and dump. I would dump it out. And it was just like spit and blood. And they took me to uh, the Baptist Hospital or Atlanta General or something. And I remember I've got to call my parents and tell them what happened. And they don't even know I left the state. And so I call from a payphone in the in the ER. I think I'm wearing a cowboy hat. I'm pretty sure I was wearing a cowboy hat. Because Reese had a video camera and he was videoing some of the uh, weekend and he videoed me in the in the ER. And I was I was my jaw was swollen and clenched and I was wearing a cowboy hat and my face was all red. And uh, I might have even been wearing a denim shirt. You know, this is the early 90s. I probably had a mini mullet. But I get on the phone before, you know, I go have a doctor wire my jaw shut, which is what I have to have done. And I call my mom and dad, and I can't get my mom, but I get my dad on the phone. And he goes, where are you? 
I'm like, I'm in a hospital in Atlanta. I broke my jaw. And he goes, we've been trying to find you for a day and a half. Your Uncle Harley has died. This was my mom's brother, the oldest of eight of my mom's and her siblings. He had been run over in the late 70s by his road grader. He was a civil engineer working for the state, I believe, Department of Transportation. And he had gotten off his road grader to free something up towards the front end and it slipped into gear and ran over his chest with the back end the two you know it's double tired at the back end with the cab and the weight and it ran over his chest and it paralyzed him from uh um somewhere in mid shoulders to down he could barely move his arms and he could move his head and he could kind of talk he was that way for almost 15 years before he died of pneumonia well he had passed and so i just break down I mean, I just, you know, who wouldn't? You had your jaw broken. Your parents didn't know you're out of town. They just found out you're out of town. You're probably in trouble anyway, but now you find out your Uncle Harley has died. And so I, just, I broke down. Another thing I remember while being in that ER was the Super Bowl was on, and I believe it was the Redskins and the Broncos, and the Redskins beat them. Not that I watched it, but I believe that was the Super Bowl Sunday. So that would be 92, January 92, that area, that I had my jaw broken while I was four weeks out of shoulder surgery. So I'm sitting in the prep room before they, you know, my, my dad's like, I'm, I'm flying out to get you and uh, we'll fly back, you know, and then he gets on the phone with Dog, our, our friend whose place it was that we stayed at that got trashed. And he sends everybody on, and Dog stays with me overnight. And um, my dad flies in the next day. Well, that that evening, I'm sitting in the in the uh, prep room to have a doctor come wire, wire my jaw shut. I guess an orthodontist or somebody. And there was this little black boy who was just crying and crying and crying, and in so much pain in the in the uh, bed next to me. And I was trying to cheer him up. And talk with them with my broken jaw wearing a cowboy hat and I guess I amused him enough to calm him down because he, he he calmed down and his mom was so sweet and uh, then I remember they took me to the room they might have done it in that room in the in the in the ER I remember they they had me on the IV and they gave me the the, the shot in the IV to knock you out and they said count backwards from 10. I had done this before where they said count backwards from 10. Might have been when I had salmonella and I counted all the way down to zero and I wasn't out and they were starting. I'm like, hey, 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 I'm still awake. And they said, well, just give it another two seconds. And then I was out. But this time I said like 10, nah, and I was out. And then, um, you know, if you've ever been put out on the operating table, I have five or six times. Um, you're in pre-fixed mode. You're in injury mode. You're in pain, getting uh, attention to your pain mode. And then you're knocked out. And then you woke up, wake up and you're fixed, but you're in pain in the immediate area. Where you were hurt. Well, I never was in a lot of pain with my jaw. It didn't hurt when he broke it. It didn't hurt when I tried to bite down. It was just a part. And 
it didn't really hurt when I woke up. But I had to talk like this because my teeth were wired together. <laughs> they put a row of braces across the top. They put a row of braces across the bottom of your teeth rows. And then they wire them together all from in several area, po several points around your your line where your teeth come together. And so you breathe through your nose a lot, but you can breathe through your mouth through the holes and gaps where your teeth come together and in the very back behind your molars where um, you can get air and that's where a lot of my uh, blended food went because you can't chew food for six weeks my jaw was wired shut for six weeks and I drank a lot of milkshakes I blended burgers with beef broth I blended pizza with tomato sauce and tomato juice I blended spaghetti with chicken broth. I blended peanut butter and jelly sandwiches with milk. Anything I could blend with beef broth, chicken broth, tomato juice, milk. That's, you know, and then fruit smoothies and stuff. That's how I ate. I still lost 25, 30 pounds easily. Probably 30 pounds easily. I, I lost 30 pounds. And so I go through this. I go through this six weeks. I'm in school with my arm in a sling and my jaw wired shut. I picked up a new girlfriend who worked at Mississippi State. She was a secretary. <laughs> and that was fun for a while. She had sympathy for me. Once my jaw got unwired, she lost the sympathy for me. And she, I remember her saying, I liked you better when your jaw was wired shut. And that's kind of where it ended. <laughs> Which, you know... That's how it is. We were all in our 20s. But I remember drinking margaritas. That was my thing that year or that semester was margaritas on a rock on the rocks because you could get a straw and drink them so fast. And my friend Brian, my good friend Brian, who I duck hunt with, I lived with him for several semesters up there at Mississippi State. And when my jaw was wired shut, he would go to bed with a pair of wire cutters on his counter on his bedside table in case I woke up throwing up because I would drink um, all these uh, margaritas on the rocks but I never threw up and he never had to you know snip my wire so I could open up the jaw so I wouldn't drown but it probably wouldn't have mattered anyway because six weeks later it's time to get my jaw unwired and they didn't tell me the whole procedure of, wh of what it entails and how much time and stuff all I knew is I'm getting these off I'm getting these out I'm gonna eat steak I'm gonna eat burgers I'm gonna eat all this stuff and so I go to this doctor and he uh, clips the wires and removes them that's just the ones going from top to bottom and he says okay we're gonna leave the braces on for a little while in case we need to put them back you're only going to be able to open your teeth about two, three centimeters at the most because your jaw's been wired shut for six weeks and you're going to have to loosen up those muscles. So you're going to have to eat soft foods. I was so let down. Well, we had spring break hitting us right then and there that Friday when they clipped the wires. And I ate baked potatoes at Wendy's from Startville to Jackson to Daytona Beach, Florida and back for that spring break baked potatoes 
and then towards the end of spring break, I was able to chew, chew bacos on the baked potatoes. It took two weeks before I could eat semi-solid foods, and another week or two before I could like eat dense meats and apples and things like that where I could like use the muscle in your jaw and bite down and chew you know these foods that you crave and you've been craving for two months three two months and a week well here's where the real pain came in with my broken jaw having my jaw broke didn't hurt when I woke up from it it kind of hurt and I was taking lower tabs then um I was having to uh I think I was having to push them through the gap behind my teeth and then swallow them with water but I didn't take it very long I've never been big into pain pills except when I needed them after surgeries which was only five six seven times um when it was time to just take the braces off the upper and bottom upper and bottom row of my teeth what they had done was pushed a wire in between each tooth above the gum line and knotted it in the back and that's what held them in place on the front well they had to clip everything across the front and then yank them through from the front so that little bitty knot in the back had to be <laughs> had to be pulled through pardon the audio problem um well to do this to pull these wires through because it would be painful they didn't want me in pain so they had to give me at, it was either eight or ten shots in my gum lines pain shots so i remember it was dr may i was in flowood mississippi he had a gorgeous nurse who was probably pff, six years older than me gorgeous young lady who was just oh 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 so sad that i was just streaming tears i wasn't crying but my eyes were just like on full flow when needle one two three four went across the top row and needle and you know that went numb but not the bottom row so needle one two three four went across the bottom row and it was like biting into a hornet's nest and getting stung repetitively in my gums and it was it was torture it was hey i'm a vietnam pow torture taking these needles to my gums and that's up there with the pain the catfish in the hand you know that's that was pretty bad but I remember that being just like, oof. And then, so now I'm numb, and the doctor has pliers. And it's like, from this point on, you may as well have been in a cabin in the woods with the hillbilly pulling the wire out of my mouth. Because my head would yank forward each time. And then the nice little young lady would ease my head back onto the cushion chair. Pull forward, yanking it out. And this went on for 30 minutes. And I was just, I'm just sitting there. But I'm exhausted. And it was rough. And I've gone 35 minutes with one audio error, discluding the audio error in the first attempt at taping this that didn't go but 40 seconds before I decided I needed to retape it. But this is too true to lie. And this is a true story all the way through. 
and uh, I hope that my suffering brings you joy. This is Harry Day. Peace.